In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, we will continue our Bible study from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10. We, God willing, we will finish half of the chapter today, and next week we'll finish the whole chapter. Uh, the Lord actually sent two groups of the disciples. The first group when he sent the twelve. And in this first mission of the twelve, he sent them only to the Jewish, to the Jews, Jewish people. But the second time when he sent the seventy or seventy-two, he sent them to the Gentiles. Uh, so our Lord Jesus Christ sent disciples to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. And he asked for the fellowship and the unity together without any discrimination. For this reason, after the return of the 70 and after they told him about the success of their ministry the Lord Jesus Christ rejoiced in the spirit as we read in verse 21 he rejoiced for the sake of the meek the Gentiles were, con were considered uh, at a low lower level than the Jews so God was happy that the Gentiles uh, being blessed with the grace of knowledge, whatever the race may be, they accepted the knowledge of the kingdom of God. Also in the same chapter, he presented to us the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Samaritan considered part of the Gentile world. They were a mix between Gentiles and Jews with the intention to declare the concept of brotherhood to the entire humanity. All of us, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, all of us who are brothers and sisters, and this for, for the whole world, because all of us are children and descendants of Adam and Eve, but for the believers in particular, because all of us are members in the same body, the body of Christ. Also, we notice in chapter 10, there is a series of contrasts. For example, in verse 3, the Lord told them, I will send you as lambs among wolves. In verse 21 to 24, those who see and hear and those who do not see and hear, uh, those who belong to Christ and those who belong to the world. In verse 21, the childlike and the wise. Uh, in verse 29 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan and the Jew. From verse 38 to 42, Mary and Martha, the worldly service contrasted with the spiritual service. So the outline of the chapter, from verse 1 to 12, the 70 sent out, from 13 to 16, woe to the non-repentant cities, from 17 to 20, the 70 return with joy, most probably will end here, then uh, from 21 to 24, Jesus rejoices in the Spirit. 25 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And from 38 to 42, Mary and Martha worship and serve. So let's start from verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, 
and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he was about to go. So the chapter begins with the literal phrase, after these things. In the Gospel of St. Luke, when he used this phrase, after these things, it is a transition statement to show movement to a new focus or a new event. New focus or a new event. Here actually, the Lord, the, the Gospel of St. Luke said, the Lord sent 70. In old and ancient manuscript, it is 72. And the question whether they are 70 or 72, actually in the Coptic tradition, it is 72. Uh, and as I explain, the accurate number is 72 because Moses chose six elders from each tribe, so they were 72. But when the Bible uh, mentioned 70, it is just approximation. But the literal number is 72 uh, according to the Coptic tradition, as we say it in the sexology of our father, the apostles. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ followed by a large group of committed and dedicated people beyond the 12 that he chose as his close circle. From among this large group, the Lord appointed 70 others to do his work. Uh, why he chose 70? Why not 30? Why not 40? The Lord formed everything in his church on the model of the Jewish one. Why? Because the Jewish model, this pattern was given by God himself to Moses and to Aaron. So this is the divine form and was a symbol of the Church of the New Testament that now is established by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when he, 12, he, when he chose the 12 apostles, this was in reference to the 12 tribes and the 12 patriarchs who were the chief of the 12 tribes and the heads of the Jewish nation. Now, he appointed 70. As God actually asked Moses to choose elders to help him in the ministry. And we read in Exodus chapter 18 how God told him to choose some elders to assist him in the government of the people. But in Exodus 24, we read their number 70. But as I told you, he chose six from each tribe, so the actual number was 72. <coughs> That's why the Sanhedrin, or the great council that composed from scribe and priest and elder, consisted also from 70 or 72 members beside the president. The number having been fixed on the assumption that the number of Sanhedrin, that the people in Sanhedrin were the successors of the elders that Moses had, had chosen. And now the Lord appointed 70. He established a new elder, a new leadership. It's interesting also to notice that the traditional number of the Gentile nations that named in the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, 70. This is according to the Jewish 
Maserot. But in the Septuagint were 72. And all of them were descendants of Noah. Noah had three children. So these 72 Gentile nations are the descendant of Noah. So as if God is sending his disciples to every single nation in the world. Uh, and the theological importance of this, it stresses the unity of the human family. As I said, all of us are children of Noah. All of us are children of Adam. But in the church of God, the believers, not only brothers, because they are children of Noah and children of Adam, but also because we are the members in the same body, the body of Christ. This unity will become theologically important again in the new covenant. When the word of God is preached to the Gentile, when all men and women of all nations are called into the united family of Christ and his church, when all of us become members in the same body, that's why you read in the book of uh, Revelation, from all tribes, from all nations, from every tongue, And as we read in Acts chapter 1, how 112 disciples gathered in the upper room in prayer after the ascension and just before the Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit. And we read how on the day of Pentecost, Jews came from across the Roman world and the gospel was preached in many languages, many dialects of the Gentile nations uh, in which they lived. As we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 6. Then the Lord sent them two by two. Why? Number one, because in the mouth of two witnesses, everything might be established. So when two of them go and preach the kingdom, people, this will give them more credibility. They will believe them. Also, going two by two, it will, they will support each other and comfort each other in their difficult labor. He sent them before his face to prepare the people by their ministry to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. As John the Baptist, who is called the forerunner of Christ, went before Christ to prepare the ministry, in the same way, these 70 prepared the way for him in the cities that he is about to visit. Verse 2. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. <coughs> Here the Lord is using the analogy of a ripe field of grain. The Lord explained why he felt an increased urgency about his work. Why there is urgency? Because the multitude of humanity who are ready to receive the good news of salvation, they are like a harvest field ready for gathering. 
so there is a great human need to receive the good news of salvation and also this is an opportunity since the hearts of the people are ready let us go preach them uh, the good news of salvation and capture them to the kingdom of God this analogy the harvest and the laborers was not the only time the Lord Jesus Christ said this he, he mentioned several times uh, for example in Matthew chapter 9 verse 37 and 38 before the commission of the 12 so perhaps the analogy of the harvest and the laborers uh, like a proverb used by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, frequently and he told them the harvest is plenty but the concern here that the laborers are few this means not only that there must be more workers but also those who are engaged in the work of ministry must have appropriate focus on their work so those who are in ministry since they are few they need to be focused and concerned about the ministry because when is when there is a lot of work and few workers one must be busy about the work so the analogy there is harvest that needs laborers so the good of a harvest will go to waste if there are no laborers to take advantage of the plenty and actually in the gathering of grain or fruit there is only certain amount of time to collect the harvest of the mature crop and if you don't collect during this time of gathering it will be waste as if the Lord is warning us that there are opportunities to meet the need of humans to hear the word of God and to bring them into his kingdom if we don't take advantage of these opportunities the harvest will be wasted because of the shortage of the laborers or the distraction of the laborers in the ministry and the commandment that the Lord gave us here is to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more and more laborers so here is the importance of prayer because choosing a laborer is not an easy thing we can choose laborers to serve in the field of the Lord but actually if they are not the right laborers they will be liability and the only way in order to be able to choose the right laborers when you pray and ask God to send laborers to his harvest so the work before them was great and could not be accomplished without much labor uh, prayer verse 3 go your way behold I send you out as lambs among wolves this verse actually should scare the disciples because the image that is using uh, the laborers are lambs and they are sent among wolves because of the hostile nature of the people 
to attack the message of the Lord. So here the Lord is giving them a warning of the danger of their mission. So how the Lord is commanding the apostles who are innocent people as sheep to seek company of wolves and go to them by their own will. Actually, if I know there are a group of wolves, I should avoid them. But the Lord told them, I sent you out as lambs among wolves. Saint Cyril of Alexandria answering this question by saying, For they all have me as the shepherd. These sheep, the laborers, have me, Christ, as their shepherd. I will be with you, with, with the laborers, help you, and deliver you from all evil. I will tame the savage beasts. I will change wolves into sheep and I will make the persecutors become the helpers of the persecuted. And we can see this very clear in the story of St. Paul. He was a wolf during the time of the martyrdom of St. Stephen. But God actually changed the heart of St. Paul and he became a sheep. After he persecuted the church, he became persecuted for the church of God. And also he became a helper of those who are persecuted. So Jesus told them first to pray, second to go, third he will tell them how to go. Verse 4, how to go. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road. So he gave them a specific instruction to display a particular attitude for their work in representing the Lord Jesus Christ and his message. This instruction on what to take on their missionary journey and how to conduct themselves in the towns they visit. And this instruction very, very similar to the instruction that were given to the twelve, as we read in Luke chapter 9, which means the same instruction should be also valid for us who are working in the field of the Lord. Because they are the same instruction given for the twelve and for the seventy. When he told them, carry no money bags or knapsacks, meaning what? Rely completely on God to meet your needs. Try to meet, complete, rely completely on God. When Peter actually and John entered the temple, and a paralyzed person met them at the door. And he was bigger, asking for money. Peter did not carry money, as the Lord told them. So he told him, silver and gold I don't have. The Lord instructed us, don't carry money. But what I have, I will give you. I have the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. When we start to rely on money and silver and gold, now we cannot say like Peter, rise, 
up and walk. That's why the Lord instructed the church and the laborers in the church to rely completely on Him. Scholar origin think that taking off shoes, no sandals. Shoes refers to the dead leather of which shoes and drums are made of. Thus, we should not ask for dead issues because the shoes are made from dead skin. So don't carry and don't ask, don't seek dead issues. And also, the dead skin is used for drums. So don't be concerned about the outer appearance as the drum gives noise, but no work. So don't be like drum. Give noise, but no actual work. If Mark, when he went to Egypt, had another spare uh, pair of sandals. So when his sandal was torn, he would replace it with the spare pair that he had. But he listened to the commandment of God. So he didn't have another pair of shoes or sandals. That's why he went to Inyans to repair his shoes. And Inyans actually became the first one who believed in Christ. And he became the first patriarch after Mark. And his house became the first church in Alexandria. So if Mark had another pair of shoes, he wouldn't meet any else. But just listening to the word of God made actually this an opportunity to capture the heart of Inyanus, who became, as I told you, the first patriarch, and his house became the first church. Verse 5. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Here when the Lord told them, greet no one along the road, it's a probably warning not to be distracted, but remain focused on the mission. And also, as I told you, there was a necessity of the haste of their mission because the harvest is plenty, laborers are few, and there is certain amount of time in front of you to capture this opportunity. Also, when the Lord told them, greet no one along the road, it is known in the Eastern salutation how the greeting uh, sometimes become very long. Yani, مثلاً, uh, in, in visits among the families, from the time they say we will leave until they actually leave, it may take 45 minutes. So the Lord wants them to be focused uh, on, on, on their mission. Don't يعني, waste the time. Verse 7, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. So don't move from place to place. But whatever they give you, accept it. Don't complain. Don't say, I like this, I don't like this. 
eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborers is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. The custom of the time meant that they would stay in the home of hospitable people. And they were instructed to bring a blessing of peace. Say to them, peace be with you, to each house. The greeting of the disciples carried a blessing that announced the peace of fellowship with God. And if they accept the gospel of Christ, this will bring to the entire family his peace which surpasses all understanding. And by receiving the messengers of God as if they are receiving Christ himself. If there is a son of peace in this house, a truly godly man who is worthy of such a blessing, then the peace of God will rest upon him. But what if their message is rejected? The blessing will return to them to bestow on another receptive heart. And again he told them, remain in the same house where the son of peace are, where the peace rests, into which you are invited and kindly received. Why he told them, remain in the same house? To avoid the problem of jealousy, so people will not be competing with each other to give them hospitality. And also to trust that God will provide for them through the generosity of this house. And to thankfully receive whatever was offered to them without begging from house to house, meaning I don't like this house, so maybe I will go to another house. Maybe I, I, I like what uh, I find there. No, stay in this house. And whatever they offer to you, be content with it. Be thankful, grateful and thankful. So he instructed them to be content with whatever their host should set before them. As if they don't care about what's given to them. And that's why he told them, don't move from house to house, seeking what you like, or where you are more comfortable. Also when he told them, the laborers is worthy of his wage, as if he told them, don't regard the support given to you as a charity but as proper payment for their work on behalf of God's kingdom. Uh, then he told them in verse 8, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Again, emphasis on contentment here and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I want you to notice, he told them, heal the sick, but nothing about casting out demons. When he sent the 12, he told them, heal the sick and cast out demons. Just keep it in your mind because I, I will come to this later. But he told them only, heal the sick. Uh, so the healing was important because it showed that the kingdom of God had come with power. So the people will believe this message is divine and heavenly message. The power was evident in acts of mercy and kindness by healing the sick in this city. Uh, but while they are healing the sick, they preach the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is at hand. So 
the responsibility of the missionaries to heal the sick and to announce that the kingdom is at their doors. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But how would they react if a city did not receive them? But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets publicly and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you, but you rejected it. So, the Lord here directs how to behave toward other cities they should come to and be rejected. The mission should be public and not private. Go to the streets. And to say publicly to any city that rejected the ministry of the 70. To say them, since you rejected the ministry of Jesus, then you are unclean. Because Jesus came to cleanse us, to purify us, to forgive our sins, then you are spiritually unclean. And there was a tradition before even the Lord Jesus Christ. When a Jewish man walks into a city of the Gentiles, because the Gentiles were idol worshippers, then after he leaves the city, has to shake off the dust from his shoes because he doesn't want to carry with him any uncleanness from this city. So shaking the dust of the town, of their feet, as if these people, since they rejected the message of Christ, they are unclean spiritually. And it was the practice to shake the dust of the Gentile lands of one's feet before crossing over into the Holy Land of God. But it was important that those cities knew the price of rejecting Christ and the kingdom. Verse 12, but I say to you that it will be more in that day for Sodom than for that city, the city that rejected the ministry and the mission of the seventy. So they shake off the dust, but they announce that the kingdom of God has come near to you in the streets. And since these cities heard about the power of God in the closed cities, how they healed the sick there. So they have no reason to reject the 70. The message of salvation, the kingdom of God has come near to you, was set equally to the believing cities and to the non-believing cities. So God actually basically is saying to every single person in the world, the kingdom of God has, near, has come near to you. It is your choice to accept it or to reject it. It's like the prophets of the Old Testament. They utter their proclamation. Whether people would hear it or reject it. <coughs> then in verse 12, the Lord declares a warning for those cities that reject the message of Christ. He told them, Sodom that was burned with fire, 
Sodom is a town located in the plain near the Dead Sea and was destroyed by fire as act of God's divine judgment in the Old Testament. And the fate of Sodom in the Bible is a symbol of God's divine judgment. So the Lord told them the judgment of this city who rejected the kingdom of God and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ of salvation will be worse than the judgment of Sodom. Why? Because the people during the time of Christ, they witnessed a greater work of God than what Sodom witnessed. Yet they rejected him. So the more we hear the truth of God, the more we see his work, the more we are accountable for. Maybe somebody would say, then I don't want to hear the truth of God or to see his work. No. This is another form of rejection. Then the Lord from verse 13 to 16, he announced woes to the non-repentant cities. He mentioned three cities. The first city, Chorazin. Woe to you, Chorazin. Second city, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, Gentile city, non-believers, يعني, at the judgment than for you. The third city, so Chorazin, Bethsaida, and now Capernaum, and you Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. So, Chorazin, the scholars could not identify where this city is located accurately. But it was probably a town near Capernaum where the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was headquartered. So, the city of Chorazin surely heard his teaching and witnessed many of his miracles. The second city, Bethsaida, was located at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And it was the hometown of Apostle Philip. So as Jesus continued to address his disciples, he pronounced a curse or judgment on the towns that witnessed his mighty deeds, but still refused to repent. So, judgment will be more catastrophic for these, those towns who rejected the message of God and his proclamation of the kingdom than those who perished by fire in judgment like Sodom. Because Sodom never heard the gospel of salvation. And repentance is a part of proclamation of the kingdom. Both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, in their ministry, they proclaimed, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So if the kingdom of God has come near to you, your reaction is to repent. Repentance is part of the proclamation of the kingdom. So anyone who refuses to acknowledge his sins and to repent, cannot be at peace with God, nor be welcomed into the kingdom uh, because of his sinful condition. And the Lord said about two Gentile communities, Tyre and Sidon, 
who never heard the gospel of salvation at that time, if they had witnessed the same miracles at these Galilean cities, the people would have repented in their sins, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. This actually was the ancient custom of expressing sorrow, penitence, mourning by wearing sackcloth and sitting on ashes, as we read in the book of Jonah. The third city is Kabrinaum. The Lord described Kabrinaum exalted to heaven, either referring to the situation of it because Kabrinaum was on a very high hill, or referring to its privileges and witnessed many miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe referring to the pride and loftiness of the people there. Kafirnaum or Kafirnaum was a famous port situated by the Sea of Tiberias. Eusebius, the Jewish historian, said about Kafirnaum was in an excellent temperament of air. The air, you know, was beautiful there, the weather. And watered with a most choice fountain called by the same name, Kabrinaum. So, as the Lord sent the 70 disciples with anticipation that some cities will reject them, he encouraged the disciples with the thought that they are his representatives and they should not take this rejection personally. That's why he told them, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So as if he's telling them, don't take it personally. If they reject you, they reject me. But what does it mean when the Lord said it would be more tolerable for some cities in the Day of Judgment than for others? This leads us to believe that on the Day of Judgment, some will receive worse judgment than others. Yes, no one will have it all good in hell. There is no good in hell at all. But some will have it worse than others in hell. And people who rejected the messengers, they are rejecting Jesus and also rejecting the Father, him who sent me. So the servant of God should not hold either praise or rejection too tightly because they are representative of their master. So the, the success or the rejection is actually due to him, not to them. So their greatest concern should not be with the success or rejection, but how to properly represent their master. How to keep this attitude that he explained how to behave, how I properly represent my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I told you, that the Lord told them heal the sick. He did not mention anything about demons. That's why they were surprised that even the demons are subject to us in your name. So these disciples, after they received the orders and instructions from the Lord, they went as he directed them. 
And when they finished their mission, they returned again to the Lord and gave a report about their journey and the success of their ministry. And it is obvious from the immediate sequence that they returned immediately. So this mission happened within narrow limit of space and time. So they visited small cities or a few cities and also in a short time. And the success of their mission or ministry is fully recorded by St. Luke, more than the 12. And as the disciples of Christ or the servant of the Lord carry their cross, but also they enjoy wonderful blessing of the service. So as they're suffering for the servant, there is also joy for the servant. And to their surprise, they have not only cured diseases according to the power Jesus gave them, but even the demons themselves have been compelled to obey them. So the tone in, the, in which the disciples spoke is that of a joyful sur surprise. They did not expect such great and immediate results. They thought that the power to cast out demon had kept to the Lord himself and to the twelve only, not for them. But they found that they also had the power to cast out demon because the Lord gave them power to heal diseases, but he said nothing about casting out demons. But they knew that this power, because of him, that's why they said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They did not take credit to themselves. They knew it is the power and authority of Jesus. Then the Lord replied to this, verse 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And this is the first time uh, St. Luke used the word Satan. Satan is short of Satana Eel. Satan, Satana, means opponent, ill God. So Satana Eel means the opponent of God. And from Satan, the word in Arabic, Shaitan, Satan, same word. Previously in the Gospel of St. Luke, the reference to Satan was the devil. This is the first time used the word Satan. Satan's mission, since he succeeded in bringing sin into the world, is to challenge the faithfulness of the servant of God and to lead men to sin. Also, he stands in heaven as accuser to us, as we read in the book of Revelation, as well as in Romans chapter 8. But when the servant of the Lord succeeds in spreading the gospel of salvation, then the power of Satan and his ability to stand in the heavenly court to accuse, there is no accusation because people now believe in Christ. So that's why as if he fell from heaven. That's why the Lord so told them, I saw Satan falling down from heaven as lightning. Their triumph over the demons was the beginning and like the earnest, the earnest money, the down payment of the final conquest over Satan. Every time the kingdom of Jesus 
is presented in truth and power and spread, it's like another judgment upon Satan and all his followers. Another defeat upon Satan. Then the Lord, verse 19, who told them, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What a very comforting message to the servant of God. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. So, trample on serpent and scorpion can be literally understood. Serpent scorpions, as we read in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, and what happened to St. Paul when a serpent uh, was caught in his hand. Or figuratively, serpent and scorpion are the devil and his principality and power and all his agents. Because of their craft and cunning, they are serpent and scorpion. And for their poisonous and hurtful nature and influence, so they are compared to serpent and scorpion. So God gave him promise of preservation from all danger. So, however, despite their powers over material and spiritual world, God gave them this authority, but their power over demons should not be the real cause of their rejoicing. They came, they returned happy. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. That's why in verse 20, and this would be the last uh, verse in our Bible study tonight, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That is the reason of our joy. So over what blessing should they rejoice? They should rejoice because their names are written in God's book of life. So the Lord warned them to rejoice on what God had done for them because their names written in heaven more than what they had done for the kingdom of God. That the spirit are subject to them. Again, told them rejoice on what God had done for you. He wrote your names in the kingdom of God. More than what you had done for the kingdom of God that you cast out demons. Yes, it is not wrong for them to rejoice in the success of their service. But the greater joy in this greater miracle, the promise of their own salvation, that is the greatest miracle. We who were condemned to death, now we have the promise of eternal life. Also, the joy over performing miracles and casting out demons was in danger of becoming self-important or full in arrogance and pride. Some people, after God uses them in some way or another, and after successful service or display of spiritual power, become arrogant impressed with all they have done for the kingdom of God. God wants us to always see what he had done for us and what he had done for us is actually far greater than what we could ever done for the kingdom of God. There is no comparison. What he had done for us is much, much, much greater than what we may do for the kingdom of God. That's why it is good for us to be moderate in the joy over our talent, how God is using me, uh, success of ministry, our gift. Or maybe better, as the Lord said, do not rejoice in this and make our joy only 
that our names written in the book of life. This concludes our Bible study for tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.